When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to number 100. They said it couldn't be done. They said it probably shouldn't be done. You said it couldn't be done in episode number one. Just for the record. We are back for the 100th episode of Buckeye Talk, and Bill went back in the archives. And what did you find, Bill Landis, in that first episode? I found magic. I found uh, the, the seeds of the uh, 17th most popular podcast in Ohio. Welcome, everyone, to our first Ohio State podcast. We have to find a better name for this. We have to find, I was thinking maybe the Gym Shorts podcast, because Ari is wearing gym shorts. So we've been doing it since the beginning of the 2015 season. Yeah. Uh, we were the first podcast at Cleveland.com, and we are going to spend the next hour and a half. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say what I would normally say if it wasn't uh, a podcast, but instead I'll say patting ourselves on the back. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll also talk some football. So it's Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, and Tim Bielek, and this is kind of special because normally we do this inside, and at the moment we are sitting outside in the dark at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center outside by the practice fields, and it is putting me in a reflective mood. Are you guys not kind of like looking up at the stars and thinking about life right now? I like the crickets. I like the na- Can you hear the nature in the background? Yeah, it, it definitely feels... I'm sure if you're listening to us, you can, probably couldn't tell the difference if we're outside the Woody Hayes facility if we were in some campground somewhere in Hocking Hills. Oh, yeah. Have you guys been to Hocking Hills, by the way? I don't care. Uh, uh, yes, I have. It was, long, it was a long time ago. People should go to Hocking Hills. It's very – Bill, you would like it. The, ho- the hiking is not that intense, um, and it makes you feel woodsy. So you should go. So but for, mm. as we get into this, we are going to talk about Ohio State Rutgers, um, but we also ask people to send us tweets about what they don't like about Buckeye Talk because I thought that would be the most appropriate way to appreciate Buckeye Talk. And just as an FYI, we have some big things ahead uh, the rest of this podcast. We have a very special guest for the 100th Buckeye Talk podcast. It is Marty Smith, the ESPN superstar who has his own monthly show now on ESPN called Marty Smith's America. And Marty Smith basically got relaunched his ESPN career during Ohio State's 2014 National Championship run. He was a NASCAR guy only before that. ESPN lost its NASCAR contract and they said, where else can we use Marty? Let's try college football. You guys remember him, his ESPN coverage from that run, and he went on and is like an absolute superstar now, and he's our guy. Is he not our guy? We, we I mean, we, we are as responsible for Marty Smith's career as Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jimmy Johnson. So 
we definitely had him on so he could uh, say nice things about us. Yep. And then he, beyond that, is like super interesting. So he talked about memories of that run. He talked about his career. He talked about covering college football. He talked about other interviews with college football coaches. He talked about his show. It is super interesting. We laughed. We cried. You'll want to listen to Marty. And, of course, we had to have back Ari, who was around for, like, the first 94 episodes of Buckeye Talk before uh, wandering off into the wilderness. We'll (laughs) uh, play our brief moment with him later on. Um, but we also want to talk about football. We don't want to only want to talk about ourselves. And we'll talk about food a little bit, too. But to get things off on the right foot, I asked people to tweet. And this feels appropriate right now. How many minutes are we into this so far? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half. And, and I've talked for three minutes and 19 seconds of it. We asked people to say mean things about the podcast to get us in the mood to celebrate 100 episodes. And our guy, Chase Richardson, as loyal of a listener as there is, said on Twitter, sometimes you take up the whole conversation for so long, Doug, that I'm physically startled when I hear Bill or Tim start to speak. And to me, that is Buckeye talk. Yeah, I mean, that's probably true, but um, I, I like it that way, because you often make good points. I learn things when you talk, and I don't mind that you talk a lot, because it means I have to talk less. Yeah, I always feel like a, a good podcast name needs a ringleader, a guy that not only gets a conversation going, but can steer it in multiple different directions. Versatility is important to the podcast game, I'd say. Yeah, I also think it's important that people have someone to hate, and I'm happy with that being you. Yeah, no, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that as well. Uh, Bradley Smith at Buckeye Brad said, Love the podcast, but I hate Doug's take on the centerpieces of the pizza. Those are the best parts, more cheesy deliciousness. So that's a shout-out to Tim Beeler. What's that, what's that guy's name? Bradley Smith. What's it like to be wrong? <laughs> Welcome to the team, Bradley. Welcome to <laughs> Team Square Pizza. Um, and so we'll go to uh, Susie, 917-04255, which could be a Russian bot. Yeah. Didn't they say a lot of the Russian fake accounts on social media have numbers at the end? Yeah. Okay, so Susie, who we hope is real but might be a Russian bot, said, Nothing, you guys are perfect. Nothing to complain about. So maybe yeah, that sounds like something that a Russian bot would say. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, let's talk. Doug Lamarice's <laughs> rants are worse than Ari Wasserman's life choices. That's wow. Jim Armpriester. That's pretty. Also, that's pretty bad. Who also said, "Just kidding." Stop hazing Tim. Um, <laughs> yeah, which, there, there which, were multiple comments in there about oh, still yeah. hazing. I'm speak, speaking of hazing Tim. Um, I think what Tim's talking about, there were uh, someone left a comment on our iTunes page that said "Stop hazing Tim," um, which we'll, we might stop doing that. But what I wanted to say was thank you for your reviews and your five stars and your comments, and keep them coming. Yeah, we appreciate every review, honest or not. And uh, Jock Fistick, our guy at Miami Buckeye, says uh, it's Doug that is in Tim's crap all the time. <laughs> Chill, Doug. Give the kid a break. Um, as far as calling me a kid, I'm four months older than Bill. So. How about that? I am the baby of the podcast, yeah. Believe it or not. Evan Imel asked, when did you stop calling it the Bad Buckeye Talk podcast? We were the bad podcast at the start. Yeah. And and why did we switch away from that? Because that's a horrible name. <laughs> we like the irony of being bad, but it is not an enticing name. No, I think we want it to be uh, more searchable for Ohio State fans to actually be able to find us on various podcasting platforms. And I don't think people in general were searching for bad podcasts. Yeah, that would be self-defeating. Oh, what do you want to listen to? I'd like to listen to a bad one. Also, right now, it would be the BTD podcast also, which doesn't really spell anything. Or even TBD. Oh, man, we're changing the name. That's hot. Wow. So, techni- so technically, our name could be TBD, but yeah, we could still have a Podcast name. TBD, I think, was what we would call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
It makes it yeah. sound like we don't have a name, but yeah, we do. Yeah. We're appealing to every, every wide-reaching opinion out there if we go with that name. And I think at the beginning, we didn't have a name. We didn't have no. We so didn't we have were. one for like for like a month. Yeah, we were literally podcast TBD. We didn't even know that Tim was coming, but yet we knew so, somewhere inside. So basically, foreshadowing. Yeah. Um. Wow. Okay. Let's talk a little football uh, before we get to some of our other stuff. Jock Fistick also had some football questions. We appreciate that. Um, Ohio State and JT looked so-so versus Army, but much better versus UNLV. What will we see versus Rutgers on offense? And on D, the DBs just have to get better. So that kind of basically covers everything about the team. Jock knows what's up. Um, Tim, predict it. Tell people what the offense for Ohio State is going to look like 7.30 Saturday night when we get to Rutgers. Tell them now what it's going to be. I have to believe it's going to be similar to what we've seen the last two weeks with Ohio State, trying to work out things to grow JT Barrett's confidence as a quarterback. We know they're going to stick with him, and we know the last two games we, they've seen, we've seen some tangible progress, albeit against lesser competition. Uh, but throughout the last two weeks, there have been you know positive things to take away from JT's performance, and even looking at a last at the passing chart, which will be up on Cleveland.com Wednesday morning. You know, we did a lot of good work in the middle of the field, I believe. Five for five, I believe, straight down the middle of the field, including really? ten yards down the field. I think was three for three, which is a pretty good sign. One of those ended up being an eighteen-yard gain to Paris Campbell. That had, did he, had he not fumbled it, it would have been another touchdown pass. So, pretty, it showed a little bit that he can throw over the middle of the field. I think it's just a thing if he needed to remember that he could do it. And I think, as we talked about Saturday, maybe that's just part of continuing to build up his confidence. Is is improving on that week to week, and this is just another step in that process. The one thing that I think is fair, and I and someone on Twitter said this, it's sort of like I mean, it, it's a fifth year senior that we're sort of talking about baby steps with, but that's where we are, right, Bill? I mean, like I, I, we can't. It's not ideal. It's not ideal, oh. but I think that's the reality, and so we have to judge the reality, which is JT Barrett in his fifth season still often does not look confident throwing it, so that's why I did take. As Tim is saying, I took a lot away in a lousy game against a terrible defense. I was searching for something, and I took that to mean something. Yeah, no, I agree. And I would also disagree that they look so-so against Army because I just thought that was the first step. That was working the field horizontally, bubble screens, um, swing passes, stuff like that. And then you saw the next progression against UNLV, and the hope is that we see the third progression, which is throwing the ball downfield, um, against Rutgers. And I think... Ultimately, what we've seen, and Nick Bosa actually pointed this out after the UNLV game, and he said that the schedule was kind of flipped a little bit in the sense that Ohio State typically plays at least one game against someone who stinks before they play a good game. And last year, that was playing Bowling Green and playing Tulsa before they had to go on the road at Oklahoma. And those get-right games, feel-good games, whatever you want to call them, do matter in the sense of getting yourself on a roll. And they came out against Indiana and Oklahoma, two pretty good teams with with fairly decent defenses, and it was far from a feel-good game. And and JT is very much a rhythm quarterback, and those were tough games for him to get into a rhythm. And that's not to say that, you know, August 28th, he's going to be slinging the ball all over the field against Penn State, but I do think there's something to be said for playing these bad teams and watching JT play the distributor and find some kind of rhythm with the offense. Do you think – so do you think – is it too much to say that it's possible if they had played Bowling Green week one instead of Indiana, they would have had a better chance to beat Oklahoma, given the Nick Bosa theory of things? 
Yeah, I, I didn't think of that before. I didn't think of it before the game, after the game, or while it was happening. But then Nick Bosa said it, and I was like, and he said that exactly. He said, "I think it would have been different against Oklahoma if JT and the offense had a chance to get a little, get rolling a little bit." Um, so I buy that. I don't know if they would have won. Um, it was thirty? Was it thirty-one to sixteen? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say they would have won that game, but I think they would have looked a little more crisp offensively, certainly. Yeah, I, I think there's also something to the fact that this is his third offense that he's run in four years, and even even when we were talking about Kevin Wilson coming in, I mean, he's got to break some bad habits that were instilled in JT the last two seasons. And I mean, twenty four. If you if you could get any, if Kevin Wilson could get any form of 2014 JT Barrett this season, it, it work out, work out really well. I think we probably needed to take a step back and and basically go, all right, um, you know, we've got a lot to work out of, and we got to get some muscle memory out of JT and get him kind of working within our framework of what we want this offense to be. But I think, uh, I just think it's important, like, I, I, for, I'm not letting whatever happened in the past off the hook, and I don't think any of us are. Like, they lost against Oklahoma, and were bad again in the first half against Indiana, largely because JT didn't play well. And I don't, I don't know, like, my confidence in his ability to play well in big games has not changed. I still have questions about that, but you have a month to watch it build up. I do think I definitely would have been behind a change. Yeah. Uh, of either going to Dwayne Haskins or doing something to work Dwayne Haskins in. I thought that for JT to play seemingly without confidence and without the ability to make the needed plays against top competition, to do that in year five against Oklahoma, I thought was there's enough waiting on that. That didn't happen. So the fact that it didn't, and you guys still really are interested in Dwayne Haskins, We'll just tell you, like, on, on, on Sunday morning, I wrote about JT after the UNLV game, and Bill wrote about Dwayne Haskins. And there are things that happen with our reader numbers. Sometimes things happen to influence them. There's a lot more interest in Dwayne Haskins than JT Barrett right now. I think you guys, to some degree, are sick of JT. You sort of don't want to talk about it anymore. You either just want to see it or not see it. And there's a lot of interest in Dwayne Haskins. I do think it's possible that JT gets this right and they're good. Like, I, I would have changed. I would have. I, and I think it would have been reasonable. I don't think it would have been an overreaction. I don't think it would have been knee-jerk. I don't think it would have been unfair to JT. But they didn't. I think it's possible that this still could work out. Now, I think, again, when I'm saying that, that's context, context of beat Penn State, beat Michigan, do what you want to do. We had said earlier in previous podcasts, this is all about does that beat Bama, does that beat Bama, does that beat Bama. But I also understand that saying does it beat Bama, getting ready for Rutgers, is not exactly the way to go through a season either. Do you guys feel like this could get good? Do you think this could be a functional, balanced, highly effective offense? Take the playoff discussion out 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 of it for a second. Effective, highly functional, high-scoring, looks good, rhythmic offense that gets them to the Big Ten championship game. Is that, and let's just put it yes or no, is that what you are expecting? Or do you think, no, I've seen enough, I don't think it'll get to that point? Uh, I don't know if I have a definitive answer one way or the other, which is kind of lame, I guess. Um, I'm more toward no at the moment. Because I, I think you can largely get by playing the, the short passing game. But even in 2014, to win the biggest game on the schedule at Michigan State, they had to throw the ball downfield. And until I see even marginal consistency in doing that, because I haven't even shown that yet, I, I can't get on board with the offenses where it needs to be to get to the Big Ten Championship. 
I'm kind of with Bill on this one. I mean, on the, in the JT passing chart I was talking about, this season he's completed just two passes that have traveled further than 20 yards. I think Dwayne Haskins did that in this match then in his relief effort alone. Wow. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. So, um, that's, it's, it's, I mean, that's what our eyes would tell us, but when you put the numbers on it, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, to answer your first question, am I expecting it? No, I'm not expecting it. Do I think it can happen? It's a little tougher to really answer that question because I think we need to see what JT looks like in the next three weeks, and that's kind of a cop-out, but the same way that's kind of the truth is we don't know how this is going to look because even you know the next three opponents are not not your Big Ten contenders, Rutgers, Maryland, Nebraska, but they're definitely a step up from Army and UNLV in the fact that they have Power 5 level athletes, so that's a step up in difficulty. Do you- do you think that Rutgers can make it tough on them to throw? Well, that's what I was, I was just going to say. I think you retweeted this today that some analyst had said it. We know Urban on Monday had said Rutgers' defense is vastly improved, right? And I, I don't remember who it was. It was um, – I'm going to forget. Is it Chad, Chad Peltier, I think, from Land Grant Holy Land, who does a lot of the advanced stat stuff. Yeah. Okay. Said basically he thought Urban was just being nice, but then he actually looked at it, and Rutgers' defensive efficiency numbers are actually pretty good, and they – they did cause Washington some problems. Yeah. Washington also a playoff team last year with a returning quarterback. They did give Washington some troubles in the opener. So I think it might be what Tim's saying. It, it, you don't want another UNLV. I mean, they don't, that, that was great. So if, if Nick Bose is saying they need sort of an easy game to get rolling, that's fine. Okay, that was the one. They don't need another one of those. They need a defense that's going to make it a little bit harder. So I think it's possible... I'm I'm gonna assume it, and I'm I've been I think as down on or as realistic. I try to be very honest about what I think JT does well, and I try to be very honest about what I think JT doesn't do well. And that was happening last year during this time when a lot of people were just blowing off the, the struggles and, and figuring they were gonna beat Clemson. And we I think the whole year people were talking about JT as a Heisman candidate last year, and we didn't buy it, right, Bill? I mean that was on no, the not at all, not at all. So. I think we might see it. I think it's possible. I think the Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins run game, I think the integrating Paris Campbell, who looks like he's getting it, they're figuring out how to use him. I think somebody, Mac, ball, he seems to throw the ball a lot. He's missed some throws to him, but they've tried that, the tight end. Victor, somebody, I think it's possible. I'm guessing we do see it. I think it's certainly possible I'm wrong. I think we see an offense Saturday against a decent Rutgers defense that makes people say, oh, maybe this is going to work. That's what I'm That's what I'm expecting. And if I, we don't see that, I'm going to be a little disappointed. I think I agree with that. And, and just to put that in context for people, for when you're watching the game on Saturday, because the natural reaction was going to be, well, it's Rutgers. Um, the, the stats, the numbers that Doug was talking about and that I tweeted, retweeted, is the fact that if you trust the advanced stats – this is the best defense Ohio State has played so far. Better than Oklahoma and Indiana is Rutgers. Just keep that in mind when you're watching the game on Saturday. Also missing their top corner, who just tore his ACL last week against Nebraska. But they gave Nebraska fits for a while. And Nebraska has like a guy who can sling it, but I think he's been inconsistent and thrown some picks this year, right? Tanner Lee. So we know Nebraska has problems. Yeah. But they pulled away from Rutgers. But for a while, it looked like Rutgers might win that game mm-hmm. on the road at Nebraska. So Rutgers isn't going to win but I think you can take – I mean, did you guys think UNLVs – and I know we did it post-game 
in the postgame pod. We hope you guys are listening to the postgame pod. By the way, this is actually more than number 100 because we do not number the postgame podcast because those are kind of different animals. They're shorter. There's not a lot of food talk because we're trying to get down to the game. But that's not really what Buckeye Talk is. That is an Ohio State football podcast that we enjoy doing, and you guys have had good numbers on that. You enjoy listening to it. We're glad we could have add, we could, that we could add that this season. That's not really the heart of what this is about. And we have some boneless wings and some chili stuff, I think, to get to later. Also, we have to talk about whether Bill should or should not eat the bruise on his banana. Yeah. Which I love. I mean, I think we could talk bananas. I could do 45 minutes on bananas. Um, but I, now I forgot what I was going to say. What was I talking about? Uh, Rutgers defense has some guys out. I don't know where you were going with it. I don't know. Blasson Austin's out. Chris Ash is a good coach. He's their best corner. He's out. I don't think this was my point. Yeah. Their best corner is out, which which helps Ohio State. But again, I do. Chris Ash was a oh, very you said good. Rutgers is not going to win, but then he stopped. Oh, okay. <laughs> but bruised bananas. Um, all right. Let me do this quick. Because I want to tell you guys, we want to make sure that you're doing this because there is some hot, hot stuff happening. In the other Cleveland.com podcast feed, we want to make sure that you guys are not missing anything. We're recording this on Tuesday night. The Cavs had media day on Tuesday. And Joe Varden, who has been breaking Cavs news left and right, and Chris Fedor, who breaks down the inside stuff of how the pieces fit together to the cat with the Cavs like nobody's business, Joe and Chris did a Cavs podcast on our Cleveland.com feed, and you have to listen to it. If you don't listen to that, you are missing out. If you care about the Cavs, that is a hole in your life. Make sure you are subscribed to the Cleveland.com podcast feed. It's separate from the Buckeye Talk podcast feed that we have. You can also go to Cleveland.com slash podcasts and find every podcast that we do here. And here's why you want to make sure you're listening to our other Cleveland.com podcasts. And listen, real talk, we help kick those off. Buckeye Talk showed the way, okay? But they are doing great work there. Do the Cavs. Go listen to Chris and Joe. The Indians are trying to win the stinking World Series. You need to listen to Joe Noga and Paul Hoynes talk about that. You need to listen when Joe Noga interviews other interesting people around baseball. I know he did one with Aaron Boone. He did one with Pedro Gomez. He talks to other people about the Indians. How can you not be listening to Indians podcasts right now? It's almost time for the playoffs. And then there's the Browns. If you care about Ohio State football, you you probably care about the NFL. The Browns are bad, but they're interesting. They're interesting. They truly are. You want to know about Deshaun Kaiser. You want to know about if if Hugh Jackson is using him the right way. You want to know about Greg Williams in this defense. You have to listen to Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Labe and Scott Pasco talk about this stuff. You need to go listen to that. They do them after every Browns game. They also do another one during the week just like we do. They just dropped theirs on Monday, breaking all this stuff down. Go to cleveland.com slash podcasts. Subscribe to everywhere you find podcasts to the cleveland.com podcast feed. We promise you will not be disappointed. And now, a visit with Ari Wasserman. I have, okay, I always have a pair of pants on my trunk. So as part of the 100th episode of Buckeye Talk, we have back the man that we could not do this 100th episode. (laughs) I'm keeping that in. I am stumbling over my words more. I think I'm worried that I have a brain tumor, but I don't think I do. I hope but, you don't. But if I do, we'll respond. We'll look back on these and think, God, Doug stumbled over his words a lot. Ari's here. Hi, Ari. Hey, guys. Feels good. Ari, how did Buckeye Talk change your life? 
Well, here's the thing. I really enjoyed doing Buckeye Talk when I was on it with you guys, and I thought that we were creating something good. And then, you know, it felt great while I was part of the Cleveland.com team, but I didn't really fully appreciate how much it mattered to me until I started seeing you guys tweet about how awesome Buckeye Talk is this week while I'm, like, at home by myself without a shirt on. Like, it's just the worst thing ever. Um, and I've also noticed that the numbers have dramatically spiked since I've left, so maybe it was good for everybody that I no longer participated, but all of these things keep me up at night. How do you think it changed Ari's life, Bill? I mean, he wouldn't have the job that he has now without it. I think that's that's just <laughs> a fact. So, I mean, outside of that, I'm not really sure. Um I don't know, is your dating life better because of it? My dating life is actually worse because of it, but I think that my eating life is better because of it. (laughs) Ah, okay. I think that, like, you guys... To me, I think that, like, everybody loves eating. Uh, I've never met a person who doesn't love eating, but I think that the way people like to eat and how they like to eat and where they like to eat is very dramatically different. And I always used to be kind of a food snob of, like, if you don't agree with me, then you're an idiot, and that's your favorite thing about me, right, Doug? (laughs) And then you guys, I, I came to really respect your opinions on food, and I think that you guys helped me like try and, and enjoy new things that I, to this day, still enjoy. So we were in McDonald's talking about this. Um, for the throwback for this part of the uh, 100th episode, we are sitting in Ari's scorching hot car with the air conditioner turned down so that you guys don't hear the air conditioning. And one it's big... It's so hot. It's so hot. One big effect of... Uh, Ari departing Cleveland.com is that we lost our podcast studio, which is Ari's apartment. And what have you guys, what, I don't even know where you replaced it. You've been doing it at your place a lot now, right, Doug? Yeah. Well, we started, we did it at my house, and then Tim Bielek joined us, and I don't have seating for three people, and so we do it at Doug's house now. Yeah. Plus, Tim lives closer to Doug, and it's easier for me to go up there than have them both come down to where I live. Do you guys usually order Domino still? We ordered it one day, and Ari uh, got me a nice uh, gift certificate when he departed, um, and one of them was for Domino's, and I almost, I was going to use the gift card of Domino's that you got no, me to buy yeah. pizza for Bill and Tim, but I thought that would be too cruel. So Yeah, we yeah, no, that wasn't what the intention of that was for. Yeah. That Domino's would have tasted so good. Yeah. You know, the Domino's at my place, we're talking 15, 20 minutes sometimes from order to front door. And that's one of the major perks of having my apartment as a studio. Plus a big, nice leather chair for Doug to sit in so he can feel like a king in a castle. I feel like I'm going to come to your house and sit in that chair soon. I, I'm dying for that. So, one thing. So, we were in, in McDonald's and Ari started talking about eating mozzarella sticks at Denny's for breakfast. And that reminded us, Bill, you said you listened back to the first Buckeye Talk? I listened I, to episode one, yeah, like ten minutes ago. And... Was it McDonald's all-day breakfast, or was no. that not episode one? So episode one was the preview to Ohio State-Virginia Tech in 2015. Episode two was the recap of that game that we did in a parking lot in a rental car outside of an Outback Steakhouse in Beckley, West Virginia. I remember that. Like where we, where yeah. we talked about, I th- like, it was a half-hour podcast for 22 minutes to talk about McDonald's all-day breakfast. Yeah, well, the McGriddle lose its luster because now you can I mean, get I whenever feel like, you want. I feel like anything in life, once you have it, you know, it's and not as good as it That's was what I wanted school. to ask. I'm just asking. I don't know the answer to this question. But, Ari, have you ever liked a girl, and then you got the girl, and then you didn't really like her anymore? Yeah. Yes, but... You've McGriddled a woman. To me more often. <laughs> but episode one um, was not food-centric at all, I don't think. We, we talked about gym shorts. Um, gym shorts, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, Doug, you several times voiced your opinion on how you think uh, the podcast, which was then 
unnamed, then became the bad podcast, and that's now Buckeye Talk. Uh, you thought it would be a colossal failure. Oh. Um, we talked to someone who covers Virginia Tech, I forget his name, um, but he was very kind to join us. And that was kind of was that it. the one where I said that sweatpants should be okay to wear, like as formal wear. Like who decided that the most uncomfortable things to wear is formal wear? Yeah, it was. It was right after we had a meeting in Cleveland, and you wore gym shorts to go meet our boss, who has <laughs> hiring and firing power. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I said, who decided that you have to be uncomfortable in the most important parts of your life? What if people got married in gym shorts? Just think about it. And it's not, gym shorts in their own way do look good. They do look good. Um, but I do like, so Ari was talking about eating mozzarella sticks for breakfast. So we talked, we started off early on on Buckeye Talk with, uh, all day breakfast. So now let's talk about dinner foods. We wanted, we were talking about eating breakfast foods at dinner. There's not enough talk in this world about eating dinner foods for breakfast. Ari, can you explain your 10, 15 a.m. mozzarella sticks? And what do you think this means for the future of food consumption in America? I really like Denny's. And I never go there because who goes to Denny's? But I think it's good. And I went to meet a family member on Saturday at Denny's uh, before the football game. We got there like at 9.30. And my favorite thing at Denny's, as weird as it sounds, are the mozzarella sticks. And I looked down at the clock and I thought, just because society tells me that I'm not supposed to be eating mozzarella sticks at 9.45 a.m., that's the food that I want to eat and I'm going to order it. And Doug... At first, it's like, so you ate mozzarella sticks at 9.45, and it kind of had like a judgmental tone to it, and then he ultimately said, eat what you want. So if you want prime rib at 8.30 in the morning, or you want fried eggs and cheese on a croissant at midnight, always eat what you want. You know what? I think I'm going to get pork chops and make those for breakfast tomorrow. That's that's tremendous. Isn't isn't that how they do things in other countries? Isn't it only in America where it's like, oh, you can't... If you're having having eggs, it must be breakfast. Don't other countries have, like, uh... Oh, I don't know that. Chicken sandwich for breakfast. For real? Yeah, I think so. Chicken sandwich for breakfast, as you could hear on another edition of Buckeye Talk. I think think in, like, I think in Asia, like, they have, like, soup for breakfast. Really? Yeah. I do think... Do you feel like your body is conditioned, though, that I... I guess... I do not object to eating mozzarella sticks at 9.45. I think I would want to put a piece of toast in my body first to lay down the foundation yeah. and then put the mozzarella sticks on top of it. You know, you know what I've been eating first thing in the morning every day for the past week and it really gets the day off right as a banana? Hard dust. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That got real. Burn. That got oh, real. Oh, wow. I like bananas. That's wow. just incredible. Are we just going to ignore what Landis said? Or are we just... <laughs> <laughs> I like bananas. Do you eat bananas, Bill? I do. I've uh, started working out with a trainer again, and I'm horrible at eating breakfast, but if I don't eat before the training sessions, I'll pass out, so I eat bananas. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so mozzarella sticks for breakfast I think is good, but was your stomach okay? Was that the first thing you ate that morning? That yeah. day you ate the first thing? It wasn't the only thing I ate. Did you have breakfast I had, food? I had pancakes, too, because they've got... And that's where... A lot of people think I'm nuts. My favorite thing about eating, like if I can just like eat what I want and not really about the caloric intake, is I'm a big variety guy. I like variety. And like I'm the type of person that will order a hamburger and mozzarella sticks, hold the fries, and have a side with a pancake. Yeah. yeah. I get I, that. People think that's crazy, but it's just like, is it that crazy? In fact, I think they should make a McGriddle with hamburger meat. Like the, so keep the McGriddle buns, but instead of the sausage pack. They had a chicken one for a while at McDonald's. They still have it, I think. McGriddle bun, McDouble insides. All right, let me ask this. Mm-hmm. Let me ask this, if this is too far for Mr. Variety. <laughs> 
McGriddle bun, filet of fish. Ugh. Yeah, that's a little bit. No, that's, that's a little. I mean, I thought I was going to blow your mind with that because we know you love the I love the fish, fish. which has also been covered on Buckeye. Previously. <laughs> Best um, sandwich in fast food. So we did. This is appropriate again because we. This is Rutgers week, and last week or last time we went to Rutgers two years ago, we went and ate at a diner at three o'clock in the morning, and we got breakfast food and dinner food combined. Great. I can't remember that what diner I, was packed. By the way, three, yeah, three o'clock like, in the morning. On Saturday, and it wasn't like we weren't on like the main drag. We were like kind of in the middle of nowhere. And then Bill drove back home to Philadelphia at four in the morning and yeah. almost flew his car off the highway. Yeah. So I do think I would like people to understand, as Buckeye Talk uh, grew over the years, and we, although we in- incorporated the food from the start, I think the reason that we ended up talking about food on the podcast is because that's what we talk about anyway. Mm-hmm. We end up eating a lot of meals together. And somebody would get potato skins, and we would just sit and break down a potato skin for like 12 minutes about this potato versus another kind of potato for the potato skin. How much cheese do you want on it? Do you like chives? Do you put sour it sour cream? cream? Yeah. Is, that, do you, is that a normal thing? Do you have discussions with other people in your lives where you break down every morsel you're putting in your mouth like you're analyzing a sports and, sporting I think, event? I think all three of us... No. Uh, all three of us are fans of the food. <laughs> and I don't know if there's other people in my life. I've tried. Like, I've gone home to Philly, and I'll be, like, having lunch with friends, and we'll, I'll, like, try to start up some deep philosophical food talk, and they'll just be like, yeah, man, I like cheesesteaks, too. Let's, let's move on to the next time. <sighs> They're not down wow. for it. They're not down for it. Okay. Which is why I think we got along so well for the few years that I was with you guys, because... We got to go to football games. We had to talk about ideas, who's interviewing what, whose angles are what. But at the end of all these trips and days, it all ended up at a O'Charlie somewhere, and it was just it was just great. And I do. I had a friend, a roommate in college, who only ate food as nourishment. He would just take it, whatever yeah. food was in the fridge, and like stack it on two pieces of bread, and he would eat that. But I envy that, those people because those people, they don't, you know, if they don't. I've got a friend named uh, David who only eats like just enough to keep him alive yeah and he's never going to be fat and he never has to worry about it and he doesn't use it as an outlet and i kind of envy that because i think about food all day yeah and because and my friend i would eat what i would eat and he would be like how do you do that why something's gonna happen to you you can't eat that way and i would be like shut up i'm fine and then I got diabetes when I was 32. And I was like, oh, you were right. <laughs> I should have listened to you. Do you think that that happened because of your eating habits or because you have a genetic predisposition? Both, but I didn't do myself any favors. No. I didn't do myself any favors. So on that downer note. On that downer note, I'm afraid to go get a blood test. <laughs> I'm hungry. Yeah, so we'll, uh, so thanks, Ari, for, you were, I mean, he was on. What was he on? Like 93 of the episodes? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, yeah, come on, yeah. give me... It's yeah. kind of, I feel like what happened is, is and I'll let you guys go here after this, but I feel like I was a major part of the team, and then I got traded, and then you guys went on to win the World Series. So keep up the good work. I'm a fan of Buckeye Talk. I read Cleveland.com every single day, uh, and just because I don't work there anymore doesn't mean that I don't respect and love what you guys do. Buckeye Talk rules. Everybody listen. Love you guys, and I'm not eating your dust, Dollar B. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like, I feel like it's like a TV show. And you got a spinoff. I'm the Cleveland show, which no one watches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's Ari Wasserman, a vital, important, critical, crucial part of Buckeye Talk history. Um, 
And uh, we'll 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 talk food with you again. Yeah, someday, I think that, I feel like if, if it's a competition thing, let's we don't have to talk about one thing regarding Ohio State. But I don't. You guys did a pizza podcast. Oh yeah, and that was pain. I mean, I didn't want to be. I didn't want to see that because, like, I. I'm sure Tim had wonderful insight, but there's he did. nobody. He did not. There's there's nobody that you're going to bring in there that's going to that's going to top because I'm very particular about that. Are you just so? I mean, people know. Everyone has heard about the Donatos podcast by now. Where are you on Donatos? I think it's average, fair. Um, I would never go out of my way to get it. We get fed a lot at Ohio State events, like the basketball games and stuff. So I've gotten my fill. But if I'm ever going to get pizza, it's not going to be from there. I think it's if you go there, get it fresh. Get it crispy and eat it there in the place. I think it's okay, but I would never get it delivered to my apartment. Yeah. All right. He's Ari Wasserman. Uh, we'll be back after this break with more Buckeye Talk. You are listening to the 100th episode of the 38th most popular podcast in the world. Actually, I have to stop saying that because I was talking to my mom and I couldn't believe that my mom figured out how to listen to the podcast. But I was saying something and she said, but you're the 19th most popular podcast (laughs) in the English speaking world. And I said, I just make that up. That's not true. And she was like, oh, so um, we're like the one millionth most popular podcast. So that's real. All right. We'll be back after this. Let's remember there are always people out there in the world that need us. So with each holiday or birthday or anniversary, Instead of doing the usual and giving flowers or attire, whatever you give people, why not give the gift of food, all right? The gift of food is something that can make you feel good and that can help people in the greater Cleveland area. And you can do that through the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. You make a tribute gift in the name of a friend or a relative, and it shows that friend and relative how much you care about them by caring about other people. And you're going to fight hunger in Northeast Ohio. The food bank's going to send you an e-card, and that's going to let your loved one know of your kindness and their kindness in helping out someone else. doesn't need to be a huge donation. Ten bucks, twenty bucks, five bucks, everything helps. Because every single dollar can provide four meals to someone who really needs it. Every year. This is what the food bank does, right? Last year, they gave 50 million meals to people in Northeast Ohio. Think about that. Wouldn't you like to be part of that? Wouldn't you like to have someone you love be part of that? If you want to do that, if you want to do something different, make a gift for someone's special day, go right now and visit greaterclevelandfoodbank.org. All right, so thanks to Ari for visiting uh, with us on that. But we're back. A little more football talk before we get to our Marty Smith interview that you will not want to miss. Stick around for that. Jock Fistick, bring in the football questions this week. I think this is an interesting one. Um, why do Urban's teams seem to need a full season to get it together while Bama, Clemson, etc. consistently come out of the gate swinging? I think it's an interesting thing to think about. Urban always talks about, like, you want to play your best football in November. You want to get better at the end of the year. We know they lost early to Virginia Tech in 14. You know, the the Michigan, they didn't play great early in 15, right? They didn't play great. Everybody sort of wondered what was up. It was sort of like they're so talented, whatever. There was a lot of quarterback stuff there. But then they lost at the end of the year. 16, they did come out. That was the most surprising thing about 2016, was that they went on the road to Oklahoma and won in week three. So... I don't know. Do we agree with that? I mean, that's sort of what Nick Bosa is saying. They need a patsy to beat up on. It's almost like they could do with an exhibition game. Yeah. 
But do we do we agree with that? And do we think other t- other good teams get better faster? Is that something that is real here? It's I think it's philosophy dependent. I mean, he's got a good point. I mean, Alabama opens the season by dominating Florida State. Clemson's looked really good early on, although they got a tough test coming up with Virginia Tech. I can understand Urban Meyer's philosophy of wanting to peak at the right time, and certainly in 2014 we saw that when they played their best football when it counted in those last four, in those last three games, Wisconsin, Alabama, and then Oregon. There's something to be said for wanting to make sure your team's peaking at the right time. And it's interesting as well because we're at the point of the season where we're a third of the way in where we had our own thoughts on what the team was 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 strong with, and now we know what they struggle with as well as what they're good at. And that's the variable of college football that I don't think you get in the NFL is you don't know how what your team's going to look like till a third of the way through. So maybe from that perspective, it makes sense. Urban's, Urban's philosophy to, to focus on just being at your best when the season's over because you just don't know how your team's going to look for the first month. I mean, they could look like Alabama in the first month of the season, but then drop a game in October, November, and then all of a sudden that takes you out of the playoff picture. Yeah, I, I don't think there's one common thread between them. I, I would agree that probably overall, Urban's teams tend to start slow. Um, 2015, like I don't, I thought they were fine. I think they were losing at the half against Virginia Tech, but I also like, there was a team coming off a national championship with a bunch of dudes who knew they were going to the NFL. Um, I think that it was probably pretty difficult for that team to get up for anything of that was of little significance um, that season. And then when the time came to play, they didn't bring it again. They lost to Michigan State. Um, I wonder how much the massive departures to the NFL might have an impact. Like, they're losing, what are they lost, 20-something guys to the NFL in the last three years, and obviously at key positions. Um, they have more roster turnover probably than a typical college team, and that probably has an effect early on um, to what you're doing. But I don't know. I, I agree with, with Jock that, that the teams tend to start slow, but I don't know if there's a common thread among them. And I will say this, like, Clemson got off to a hot start. Clemson beat the crap out of Kent State in Week 1. Um, and then was rolling after that, and, and didn't play great against Auburn. They won by I think it was fourteen to six. Um, Doug, you've written about Alabama's sort of secret scheduling tactics of scheduling teams early that we think are good, but they're not good when they play them. So it looks awesome, and they, those teams get better at the end of the year, and those wins mean more to Alabama. So Alabama, in some ways, is playing tune-up games against teams you wouldn't consider tune-ups. Um, so I don't I don't think Ohio State is particularly worse off than those other teams beginning of seasons listen we're in an ohio state bubble here we're proud to be in an ohio state bubble i mean i don't we don't i never pretend to be an expert on every other team in the country we're not around them every day that's the way it is we're here we are paid to do this and we try to do the best we can for you guys on this so you guys are ohio state fans if you're listening to this and you get in a bubble too we all do we're all in the bubble together so usc almost lost to western michigan at home you know, like there's a lot of weird stuff that happens a lot of places. There are not many teams that get through a 12 game schedule and look great every week. So I think it's easy for us to think that things only happen to Ohio State. It doesn't excuse it. We're never going to give them a break for a bad game or a bad loss or looking like they're they have a hole in their team or looking like they're not into it. It doesn't excuse it, but it adds context to it. So I do think there's an idea that. You know, sometimes you you schedule lousy teams and you win by 50, and that's just the way it is. But if you schedule, and Ohio State does a good job. I mean, not every not every top five team in the country is playing Oklahoma in week two. That's a real game that a lot of teams avoid. 
So you have to give them credit for that. And I think almost everything that we see here that we complain about and worry about and criticize here happens almost everywhere. Honestly, the one place it might not happen is Alabama. And I know that we think of Ohio State on that level, but they're not at Bama's level yet. And I don't know that they ever will get there. And if you go through your life comparing yourself to Alabama and only Alabama, that's a pretty good way to get miserable real quick. They're in the conversation. They're not Alabama. And if you're not Alabama, that means some weeks aren't going to be great. Yeah, I buy that. Do we want to talk about, before we get to Marty, pass defense and what we think? Like what? So Greg Schiano spoke on, let's say, Tuesday and was asked about the cornerbacks and basically said, like, I see the things that you guys see, but I'm not as worried about you know, the penalties and the passing yards, I guess, that we're giving up against Indiana as, as everyone else is. And coaches have to say that, I suppose. Um, but he very much seemed of the mind that the, the penalties that they got called for against UNLV are very correctable mistakes. And otherwise, he thinks they have the talent at cornerback to be just as good as they were last year. I think someone just scored a goal in the soccer game over there. Um, so I guess where are you guys at with the pass defense? And, and they're playing Rutgers, and Kyle Bowen's a quarterback who's just okay. Um, if Janarian Grant is back and healthy, that's, he's a factor at receiver. So maybe there is a little more of a test here than you'd anticipate. But do you think the pass defense is going to get it turned around sooner rather than later? Um, I think... Well, I think I referenced Saturday Chim Ducekla tweeting about how he thinks the corners need to work on technique. And, you know, thinking about it over the last couple of days, what Graciano had to say tonight about, on Tuesday night, about getting called for penalties, it kind of brings back to what Terry McLaurin was saying last week about the offensive holes that the receivers were getting. Technique, I mean, you do things a certain way, but you, as players, you also have to be aware of how the officials are calling games. I mean, you could tell from the first time you commit a pass interference penalty, if you if you have experience, you'd be like, okay, so I can't be as aggressive. I have to back off a little bit. Or if you sense that they're not that they're letting you, they're letting the corners play out there, you'd be like, okay, I can afford to be a little more physical. You have to be you have to be able to play off how the game is being called, and you have to assume it's going to be called consistently all the way throughout. And if they're calling it tight like they were on Saturday. Where I think the first flag on Kendall Sheffield, there was like, I think I probably legitimately counted a four or five second delay before he saw that flag flying. I think Kendall's got to think in his head, maybe this is experience talking. Like, okay, I got whistled for this. I can't be as aggressive. I have to back off a little bit. And there's ways to cover without being overly physical. It's just you have to have awareness of the in the game, how it's being called, because you can't keep playing the same way if it keeps getting whistled, because all you're doing is just pushing your defense back 15 yards and it eventually led to a UNLV touchdown so that proved costly. The thing I think it's valuable to keep in mind and I, I think it's hard with Kendall Sheffield. He's not a freshman because he went to Alabama, redshirted then went to junior college for a year. So physically that kind of thing you don't view him the same way as a freshman. But he's never played major college football before. So he's closer to Jeffrey. He's Jeffrey Okuda in that. He's not Denzel Ward. He's not a guy who has figured out the ins and outs and how to deal with refs and when teams try to do. So I do think that that in game experience, he's played four games and one of those teams didn't throw. So there's room to grow. But I want to ask this because this is a question that our guy, Dr. Mantis Toboggan on Twitter, did directly ask about. Um, Do you think Okuda gets playing time against Rutgers? And if he does, is there any chance he'll play his way in front of Sheffield? So I was not listening to the Big Ten coaches call on Tuesday. I know you were, Bill. 
I know that you tweeted that Urban Meyer mentioned this. He said that Okuda, Baron Browning, and Pete Warner are going to get playing time. Urban Meyer says this kind of stuff all the time. And clearly, the playing time that Baron Browning and Pete Warner might get is not the same as the kind of playing time Jeffrey Okuda might get. Was there anything in the way he said that, what he said? He, he talked about Okuda the week before when I asked about him. Do you believe that they are any closer to playing Jeffrey Okuda with the ones in actual playing time? Yeah, I, I, I got the vibe that they might mix them in for a series like when the game is still competitive, which I mean in the first quarter maybe or second quarter. Um, I think when it comes to Werner and Browning, it's probably more special team stuff and then mixing in when you can if, you, if the game gets out of hand. Um, I think he's seen enough now through four games to see that if it's inexperience that's plaguing these cornerbacks, then I don't think that there's any harm in throwing a guy in Okuda out there now to see what you might have. You don't want to be experimenting in three weeks. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm actually anticipating that Jeffrey Okuda gets mixed in with the starting cornerbacks in the beginning of the game against Rutgers. All right, let's do this. There's a couple things we need to deal with here. One is, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, I can't find it. There's a question that someone had when we were saying, like, what do you, what do you want to like complain about about us? What do you want to criticize us for? And it's a uh, it's a very good point. Um, Jared Gerald at Jrod eight eight one zero said, "You guys complain about how long every podcast is." Hashtag who the f cares? Hashtag two hour podcast. Hashtag shouldn't give af. Hashtag go with it. <laughs> So I don't see how we can do the 100th episode of Buckeye Talk and not hit some hardcore food talk. But we have a 40-minute Marty Smith interview coming up. And Landis and I were talking there saying, like, maybe go, like, 115 total. Like, we're... We're at a half hour right now. But what about the Ari part? Oh, yeah. Which is at 12 minutes. So So that's 42. We're pushing... We're over 40 at the moment, yeah. So, listen. You want to listen to this... We don't have guests on all that much. We've sort of stopped doing the guests where we have like opposing beat writers come in and stuff. We save the guests for like super important stuff. This is Marty Smith. Frankly, he's too good and too famous to be on this podcast. That's real talk. But he did it anyway. So you can follow him at Marty Smith ESPN on Twitter. You have seen him on ESPN because he is everywhere on ESPN. He is like literally their number one storyteller right now. Marty Smith goes everywhere, and it's not just college football. So he has stories to tell you. I swear to God, I almost cried while he was talking to us. It's like he reached through the podcast and grabbed our hearts. How can you not want to listen to that? It's moving stuff. It's moving stuff. But you want to listen to Marty because he talks some really good Ohio State stuff. He talks some college football stuff that we asked about what you guys care about. And then we asked some big picture stuff on Marty. Please listen to this. And here's the promise. When it's over, we're going to talk about food. For now, Marty Smith of ESPN. Um, all right. So just so this is our for our 100th episode of our podcast on Ohio State, and we needed the special guest, and you're it, man. So that's what a big deal this is. This could be the highlight of your career, Marty. You guys are pretty hard up for big-time guests, if you're calling me. Uh, yeah, I'm honored. I appreciate it. I just, um, I will say, I appreciate you guys and the work you do so much. When I was dropped out of nowhere from the NASCAR world into college football, uh, back during the inaugural playoff, 
in 2014. Uh, you guys' work really helped me acclimate to what was going on up there. And, I mean, I can remember uh, <laughs> being dropped in there and not having any contacts and not knowing anyone or not honestly not knowing a whole lot about the team. And uh, what you guys do really was basically my Bible. So thank wow. you guys for your work. That's why you're here, Marty. We wanted you to say that. <laughs> We're going to turn uh, in that into commercial. When you guys are up for renewal, uh, call me. I, I can be your agent. <laughs> so listen, man. So we're just rolling on this now. And that is why I wanted to talk to you about this, why we think it's so interesting. Because we know where you are right now in your career and what you're doing, the great, awesome stuff you're doing at ESPN. But how important was that Ohio State National Championship run for you in establishing yourself as somebody outside of NASCAR who could do this? was that How big was that for your career? Um, honestly, it's beyond measure. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Because um, when I got, you know, I'll, I'll kind of back up and just give you guys the story. So I had been on the road about 100 of 130 days at the but between the middle and the end of that year because – that year was the last year ESPN had NASCAR, the broadcast rights to the sport. And um, being kind of a fixture of their coverage, I had every race, 20 in a row. And my wife, Lainey, I got home from Miami, Florida, and uh, I woke up on Monday morning after that race and got a cup of coffee. And we're getting our children ready for school, and she's just smoked. We got three kids. At the time, our kids were eight and younger. And she looked at me and she's like, dude, um, I know that ESPN is going to want you to do some work in other sports, but I got to have you home a minute. I'm just fried. And I'm like, don't worry. They're not going to call me till January. No, what am I, what am I going to cover? But <laughs> I kid you not. I sit down on the couch. She puts our children in the car to take them to school. I sit down on the couch with my coffee, open up my email. And there's an email from Lee fitting whom you guys know, but your listeners may not, basically runs college sports at ESPN. Lee was the guy that really propelled game day to the phenomenon it is now. And in that email, it said, Marty Lee Fitting, I love your passion. I think your passion is very applicable to college football, so start studying college football. You're going to be one of my four reporters, which I embed with one of the final four teams in the inaugural playoff. And I, I you know how – since we're all getting old, you kind of hold your phone away from your eyes a little bit to make sure you're reading that correctly. Yes, sir. Um, I couldn't believe it. And growing up in Blacksburg, Virginia, as a Virginia Tech fanatic, um, I, I, college football is the one sporting entity that I had more passion for than NASCAR, or as much. And I just couldn't believe what I was reading. So... I'm in this dichotomy, like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, my God, I have to call Lainey and tell her this. So I do, and she was like, as soon as she answers the phone, she's like, what now? Where are you going? <laughs> and, you know, to listen, to her credit, she's amazing. Uh, she supports me way more than she should and never complained a second. I just said to her, like, Lainey's not a sports person. So I had to tell her, if you'll just trust me on this, this has potential to change our lives, and it did. It has. And so that whole long prelude to they dropped me in Columbus. Again, no contacts. I know no one. The 
information that I have came directly from you guys. I read voraciously everything I could get my hands on. And I remember walking into Urban Meyer's office with Jerry Emig and shaking Urban's hand. And he has this quizzical look on his face. Like the wheels are turning. Like, wait a minute. Tom Rinaldi is in Florida, is in Tallahassee. Sam Ponder's in Oregon. Kaylee Hartung's in Alabama, and we get the NASCAR redneck? Wait a minute. Um, but I, to his credit, look, he gave me time, respect, insight, attention that I, I, I had not earned and did not, deserve, did not deserve. And because of that, it resonated with the viewer. And I am for, look, I'm forever indebted to him and to Jerry and to Mark Pantoni and everybody in that staff that gave me that time that I did not deserve and hadn't earned. Um, sure, it's good for Ohio State to have that type of coverage, but for them to just bring a guy in and hold his hand was invaluable to me, and I am—I will never, ever, ever forget that. So, Marty, how did you end up with the Buckeyes? Do you guys draw straws, or were they the four seed and you were low man on the totem pole, so they sent you to Columbus because they were the four seed? Yeah, I think that's—I think that's the math. Uh, yeah, I don't, um, honestly, that—that uh, that is the math. But I think if you look at relationships. I think that Kaylee's relationships in Tuscaloosa, having worked for the SEC Network at the time, were very strong. Um, Tom is well-known everywhere, obviously. He's basically like the journalistic standard in college football. Um, So they sent him to Jimbo. Uh, Sam, uh, also being on game day, was well-connected. And I think that they said, okay, this is a very passionate fan base in Ohio, and we know you can do it, and they are the four seed, so go. Now, I don't know. I wasn't in those meetings. Again, I kind of got the assignment and was like, hell yeah, let's ride. But Alabama was Alabama. Like, you know, Ohio State wasn't supposed to win that game, no matter the insane amount of talent. Look, Think about the talent looking back now on that field. Unbelievable. And so maybe that was the math. I don't know. I've never asked. But I do know, and I will tell you, I will keep the actual commentary private because it was between Coach Meyer and me, but we've had some hell of hell of a good conversations and laughs about that week. And again, I give him credit. He, As we were exiting the press conference room after that Sugar Bowl, I was talking to my producer, Andrea Pelkey, at the time. It was like what you guys will remember. It was like 1.30 in the morning, some ungodly time after that Sugar Bowl ended. And I'm looking to my left at her saying, damn, let's go get a cold beer. And I kind of get hit in the belly. And I turned to my right, and it was Urban. And he said, you sure you've never done this before? And I said, no, sir. This is the, the first week or ten days I've ever covered college football. And he said, you keep that passion. You're going to be just fine. And, I, you know, I file all those things away. Look, one thing about this for me, gentlemen, I, the, the all of this is very real. I don't make up the intensity or the passion or the fun that I'm having doing this. I love this, and I still can't wrap my hands around the fact that they let me do it. Like that, I, I pay my mortgage with it. I'll never take that for granted. I'm very fortunate to have this. 
What what if were you nervous like you're going off it's a sport you haven't done before you told your wife you know this has a chance to change our lives but were you walking around thinking man if I blow this I'm I'm done or do no. you not think that way Marty No I wasn't and I'll tell you why because the approach I took was extremely so, like almost on a surface level here is the approach I took Everybody is going to be critical, especially Ohio State fans, and deservedly so, that the NASCAR guy is on their team. There's going to be people watching College Game Day and SportsCenter and the pregame show on ABC and all of these platforms that they're going to put you on and go, what in the hell is this? I knew that going in. So don't try to be cool. Don't try to, don't try to dig into... The, 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 the real depth of what's going on in that locker room, what's going on uh, like in the meeting rooms that you guys do so well. Leave that to the guys that are immersed. Report what you see and what you think is really cool. And that's the approach I took. I reported what I saw, what Urban Meyer and his staff told me, and what I thought was cool. Here's an example. Um, Sugar Bowl Media Day. I asked Jerry to get me from the equipment guys one of those sleeves of Buckeyes. Y'all are going to roll your eyes at this story, and that's okay. I don't play. <laughs> ask me, ask me, I asked him to get me a sleeve of those Buckeye stickers because growing up, I remember that, that commercial. Buckeye! I remember that commercial, and I thought it was so cool. And it's something that's very authentic to Ohio State. So I take this sleeve, and I slide it across the table at Joey Bosa. And I say, hey, man. What are these? Like, what do they mean to you guys? Well, if I get a sack, no, 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 no. What do they mean? Well, he never gave me what they are. So I went to Joey. I went to Ezekiel Elliott. I went to Cardell Jones. I went to Eli Apple. I went around the building, right, on the field there at at the Superdome. Then I was like, all right, obviously this idea was a bad one. It's not working. The last guy I went to was Devin Smith. And he was all by himself. Like it was near the end of the session. Devin's sitting all alone. I slide these stickers across the table at him. And if you guys remember, Devin like played everything on special teams. I think he was even on the kickoff team, if I recall. Yep. So he says to me, I slide them across the table. What are these? Man, if I get a, a tackle on special teams, I get a, if I catch a touchdown, whatever it was, he said, I'm like, no, dude, why do they matter? And he looked at me, and his jaw clenched, and his posture changed, and he sat up in his chair, and he goes, I know what you want. These stickers are Archie Griffin waiting on me as I exit the locker room to walk out onto the field to ensure that I'm prepared to uphold the tradition of the Ohio State University. They are Chris Carter calling me on the telephone on Friday night before I play Michigan to ensure that I'm ready to uphold the tradition of the Ohio State University. And he goes through this whole list of guys. It's like Orlando Pace, Chris Carter, Eddie George, Archie Griffin, on and on. All these like studs. And every hair, even when I tell it now, hair, my hair stands up. Man, my hair's so standing wait, up too, Marty. <laughs> yeah, I wait to tell that story. I hold on to that all the way until the night of the game. It's like an hour till kickoff. It's my last report of the week. And I'm standing in some street. <laughs> I'm not even in the stadium. I'm standing on some street in New Orleans. 
And I am not kidding y'all. Like I am, I'm giving this report and I don't have any allegiance to Ohio state, but there's tears in my, like I am fired up telling this story. I, I am not kidding you to this day. I'll be walking through airports or I'll go to the grocery store and some Ohio state fan will walk up to me and mention that report. And like, that's why I wasn't nervous because I know I'm not trying to do something that is inside baseball. I didn't know the inside baseball. I just did what I found interesting and it worked for me. So Marty, it's, it's very apparent to all of us. I think that, and I think we can say this with complete confidence that you are the reason Ohio state won the national championship in 2014. (laughs) (laughs) Um, which begs the question, why were you not embedded with the Buckeyes last year? Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess because I had spent so much time in Tuscaloosa and in Clemson. You know, again, like, I'm not a part of those, I'm not a part of those meetings. I don't know how those, those decisions are made. Um, it's a very fair question. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, I would, I would love to be. It's, you know, it's interesting. I went to, Rome with this is a bit of a tangent I went to Rome you know with with Michigan in April and we were over there for seven or eight days really really with them and doing everything they did and Harbaugh gave us unbelievable access to his players and and his staff and when I got home I heard it from a lot of Ohio State people (laughs) come on man like how come you're not doing that with us well y'all go to if, if Urban packs the boys up and heads overseas and invites me, I'm going. No problem. Um, I don't know why I wasn't with them uh, for Arizona last year. That's a good question. I can't answer. So, so you did. You were Clemson last year, right? Well, I was not actually. I was Alabama. Okay. I had Alabama for the Peach Bowl, and then as so, here's how that whole thing went down. I was Alabama for the Peach Bowl for like the nine days leading up to the Peach Bowl. Once that ended, I was actually taken off of the team detail. I was sent to the – like Tom Rinaldi had – was given Bama. Sam Ponder was given Clemson. They were going to be the two reporters that did all of the stuff leading up. I was going to be kind of like an ad detail, ad color. What's going – like, okay – I was actually, I woke up on Monday morning, a a week before the national championship in Tampa, Florida, and I was on my way to roll cigars in like this little um, authentic Cuban community in Tampa. I was going to do like a little two and a half minute story, learning how to roll these cigars with these cats. Well, my phone rings and it's, it's Lee fitting. Hey bro, Sam has strep throat. I need you to take Clemson. Okay. So I ultimately had Clemson all week. So I actually switched teams. I went from Bama Peach Bowl to Clemson National Championship. But that was not a big deal at all, really, because I've spent so much time in those two communities the last two seasons. So who'd you have in 15? Yeah. In 15, I had Clemson. Okay. No. I was going to say, so yep. you're not undefeated in the history of the college football playoff, are you? But you're <laughs> you know pretty good. Funny? I had, believe it or not, I had Duke basketball like right after the Ohio State deal in 14. I was sent in late March, early April, whenever the Final Four is, to Durham. 
to do this whole couple days with Duke, and then they won it with Okafor and all of those guys. They won the national championship. So I had a pretty good run that year. <laughs> so does that mean like you're essentially bringing a four-leaf clover with you to these things, or just obviously it's all coincidental, I'm sure? Well, I had North Carolina when Chris Jenkins hit that buzzer beater to like tear the heart out of Tar Heels all over the world. So I don't know that I am a good luck charm. <laughs> all right. So 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 now, Marty, when you go out in the world now and and you have your um, your show on ESPN and you've done all these high profile things, how do people respond to you out in the world? And in particular, like when you're on college campuses, how do college kids respond to you? Because it just seems like you connect with people so well. I, I, do you like walk down the street and people just come up and think they're your friend? Yes. That's exactly how, and I appreciate you saying that. That word connect is, uh, I mean, first of all, that that's one of the things that matters the most in this thing for me. I'm just a dude. I'm just like them. Like, I love being there. I love being a part of it. I just I happen to get access they don't. And, yeah, that like it's funny because a lot of ESPN people on air have security people. I don't have a security. <laughs> I just walk around and hang. And like I don't I don't know, I don't feel like I'm I don't I don't feel like I need one. But I will say because of that every that guy at the end of the bar you can have a beer with, I love having that image, I guess is the right term. Um and yeah, that's what it is. People tell me that all the time and they do sort of think they know you. And they run up to you. One thing that's a little weird is when people just touch you like they think they're your homie. <laughs> like, hey, man, look, I'm all in on, on hanging out, but don't, please don't don't touch me. All right? Like, don't, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't, I got, I was at Louisville last weekend. I had the Louisville-Clemson game. And this guy, you could tell he was overserved. He'd had a bunch. And he walks up to me and just like, you remember? Are any of you guys old school wrestling guys? Do y'all remember Chief Wahoo McDaniel? Yeah, Chief Wahoo had the chop, right? Like he'd just take his open hand and just blast one of his opponents in the chest. This guy Wahoo McDanieled me, and he's like, "What's up, Marty Potty?" And he whaps me right in the chest, and I'm like, "Dude, like, I, say hello. Don't assault me." But, yeah, I mean, I will say it's a little weird. I'm still getting used to all of that, and it's all new to me. Um, ESPN is a massive platform, and it's easy for those of us on that platform to to lose perspective on how massive it is because I want to do the best work I can do I want to do it as fairly, as passionately, certainly as accurately as possible. But then it's sort of on to the next one, right? So I, I sort of lose sight of, like I'm looking at a camera. You don't think about the millions of people on the other side of it. And while you're doing it for them, and that's who I'm doing it for every day, uh, you kind of forget that, like the, especially the Cristiano Ronaldo thing. You talk about a thing now. I, that guy is – we know some famous people, right? Like you guys know some famous guys. Y'all know LeBron James? He's famous. But this Ronaldo cat? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I I saw ladies faint. I mean, like straight up 
out of the movie Fallout at the sight of this man. I saw a guy uh, in Shanghai, China, try to jump. There was one of those metal partitions between where he was and where the assemblage was. I saw a guy run and try to jump it and just get clocked right between, like one of those bouncer cats wasn't having it. It's just, it's another level, man. But anyway, I'm rambling. You, yeah, I'm still getting used to that. Are you, it's, you, it's a trip. Are you sure they aren't fainting for you, Marty? Positive. Okay. Yes, trust me. Like, absolutely, unequivocally positive that it is not for, for me. Yes. So, Marty, you know, you just mentioned it there that obviously working for ESPN grants anyone who works for for that company a certain amount of access. But, yes. you know, once you get that access, you still have to do something with it. And, and, and not naming any names, but there are people who get access and then kind of just let the access stand as the story. I feel like the th- one of the things you do best is, I don't know if disarming or, or humanizing is the right word to use, but these college coaches who are otherwise otherwise buttoned up all the time and you don't really get to see them let their guard down you you do a tremendous job of of doing that and i'm just wondering if you can maybe take us behind the curtain a little bit and and what goes into allowing these guys to open up to you the way they do well first of all you're right i think i think it's like okay here's here's kind of let me try to use an analogy and this might be a little bit opaque so bear with me here i look at tom brady bill belichick and there's a guy named Jimmy Johnson who's a seven-time NASCAR champion, and his crew chief is a guy named Chad Canals. I look at them as the same guy, right? They always had ability. They always had a vision. They always had desire and work ethic and kindness, all of these things, right? But they happen to be, they happen to be seen, appreciated, and embraced by the right people in the right system. They were then given an opportunity. The door was cracked for them, and they kicked the damn door down. I kind of look at my own career that way. I was given an opportunity by people who believed, placed with great, great people, producers, editors, all of those things, and, to your point, the ESPN brand, which opened that door for me. No question how important that was. But just because it's opened doesn't mean it's going to always be afforded to you. You have to earn that every time. And your work, your work, the way you do that work, the way you treat the people, all of those things are very important in that equation. And I feel like my producer, Jonathan Wiley, and and I have, he does everything I do with me. It's him and me. And I think because of that and the relationships that we built and the trust that has come with those has only... Um, made that penetration of these programs even greater each time we go. And again, we don't take that for granted. Now, about disarming coaches, that's really up to them. Um, I ask questions. Look, I'm very fortunate that whereas you guys have to ask questions that might frustrate someone, Mm -hmm. because like when you're a beat guy, your readers and your viewers and your listeners have this voracious appetite for very specific information. I'm afforded a, a spot where I can ask this crazy, broad-stroke, open-ended question that they don't hear every day. So, um, and I appreciate that opportunity. So, like, you know, with Urban Meyer, I could, whereas you guys have to ask him about the health status of, of some wide receiver or something, right? Mm-hmm. I can be like, 
Um, how would you describe the evolution of JT Barrett as a quarterback? And just let him go. So, you know, there's a lot of different levels and variables involved in that access and why we get it. But we try to pay it due respect, and I think we're doing a pretty good job at that. Marty, you mentioned getting embedded and doing all sorts of different things. One thing that stuck out to me, and I was watching a video of it the other day, last summer, a little sports tangent, when you were down in Iceland for the Euros, and that was (laughs) one of the most wild stories in years, that team. For those that don't know, they went really far in the Euro tournament as an underdog, upset England, which was a big deal, and there's video of you, looks like, a massive party out in Reykjavik, and can you describe how you got to the, how you, you ended up in Iceland for that, and what that scene was like, if it was beyond anything that you've ever been a part of? Honestly, that was a, a seminal moment for Jonathan, again, my producer, Jonathan and me. I was actually in Seattle, Washington, hosting an event for Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. My phone rang. And it was my direct report at ESPN with news that they wanted to send us to Reykjavik, Iceland to cover this Euro tournament. And I just started laughing. Like, I was laughing. What? Because, and and so, okay, awesome. So I get home, I unpack, repack, and I get on a flight in Boston to Reykjavik. We had no plan. Zero plan. And for those of you listening who don't really know what this story is, just think about like um, an obscure Sunbelt Conference or Big South Conference university making the Final Four of the men's basketball tournament. I guess that's an applicable – it's analogous, I guess. So they sent us over there because they think it's a cool story. We have no plan. By the time we landed, we had – Interviews lined up with the president of the nation, <laughs> the the biggest band in the nation called up Monsters and Men, the what is quite possibly one of the one of the most famous athletes in the nation, an MMA star named Gunnar Nelson, who is Conor McGregor's boy, sparring partner kind of guy, big MMA star. And so we wanted to do a piece initially on this Viking chant that they did. So we land, we survey the landscape, we go to bed, we get up, and we interview all of those people in one day. And we do this story, and that's that. Well, it like it blew up. It was like wildfire. And so our bosses wanted us to continue this foray into Icelandic culture. We got on a helicopter and flew up like 1,500 feet above the – like we got up in this bell tower. We did all these crazy live shots trying to show the flavor of the country, which, by the way, is like as big as Kentucky. It's 330,000 people, and they are awesome. The landscape is stunning. The people are beautiful. It was so cool, and – we didn't really know what it, what it was until we got home. And when we got home and realized, again, I was going to say people still ask me about it like you are right now. That, to me, I, am, I know this. I'm convinced. That's one reason we have this show, Marty Smith's America. Because it kind of showed, hey, we can drop these cats anywhere. And they're going to create some memorable content. And uh, that and going to Rome with Michigan were really important for us getting Marty Smith's America. 
So with that, with this, this monthly show you have on ESPN now, can you give us a little tease about what you have coming up? Or what are yeah. like the dream stories? What are the things that you want to do, the athletes you want to hit, the people that intrigue you that you want to try to sit down with and get behind the curtain a little bit? Well, there are several. Our next show is October 5th. It debuts October 5th at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN2. And we will have three different stories, one of which actually aired this morning on SportsCenter. Well, I don't want to date it. Aired on SportsCenter on uh, September 22nd. It's uh, I went down to Florida with Jimmy Johnson, whom I mentioned earlier, the NASCAR driver. And we spent a day helping an elderly lady remove a bunch of trees from her yard, sawing a bunch of trees up. We installed an air conditioner for her, all of these things, just to try to lend a tiny, minuscule hand of assistance to everybody who's going through hell with the aftermath of Hurricane Irma. So that will be one of the pieces I am leaving uh, next week. Well, I don't know when this is airing. I'm dating things, so forgive me. Another one of our pieces will be I'm going out to Portland, Oregon to spend the day with Michelle Wee, the women's golfer Mm -hmm. who has captivated me for some time. I'm fascinated by her career, and I'm fascinated by the pressure that comes with being a prodigy and how that impacts you throughout your life, whether your passion for what you're doing ebbs and flows. And what is that ebb and flow? Does it go from hatred to euphoria? Is that too dramatic? I don't know, but... I think she's an awesome person, and I really look forward to interviewing her. And then the very next day, I'm going. I'm I'm leaving Portland and going to New Orleans. I have a piece I'm doing with Anthony Davis, the uh, of course all world star for the New Orleans Pelicans, who was great at the University of Kentucky as well. The brow, and he too has captivated me for a long time. Anybody who's willing to own. A unibrow is my boy. Marty, are you going to end up with the unibrow for that story? <laughs> you know, i got a lot of growing to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, if I could pull that off, I'd be like Teen Wolf or something. But um, So we're, we're doing that thing with Anthony. And then uh, here's a little peek into my schedule. I'm flying from New Orleans, landing in Charlotte probably sometime around 10 p.m. I will get in my truck and drive to Blacksburg. I have uh, Virginia Tech Clemson. And so I'm driving up straight from here. I'll probably pass my home and never stop to see my family. But anyway, um, those will be the three stories in the next piece in terms of, or in the next show, in terms of the people I want to interview, I can't, it it just, I, I really can't even I'm still rationalizing that I can do this. I'm still rationalizing that I can call Brandon Marshall, for example, and ask him to be vulnerable with me about his fight with and against, um, you know, mental health, a mental health condition, Mm -hmm. and really detail everything that has been so difficult for him and the impulsivity that almost derailed his career and all of those things. I, I was shocked at his honesty. So those kinds of things I'm still getting used to. I can't believe Anthony Davis will say yes or Michelle Wee will say yes. I would love to. Like one of my goals is, I think it would be so cool. Yeah, I don't know if I could ever pull it off. How cool would it be to be in the same room and sit down with Bill Clinton, W, and Obama talking sports together? 
because ultimately they're all sports guys. You know, W loves the Hogs. I mean, pardon me, Clinton loves the Hogs. W owned the Texas Rangers. And, of course, through that amazing pitch in, in the World Series, I wanted to do a piece on that, but it's already been done by 30 for 30. And, and of course, we know Obama did the whole bracket thing with Andy Katz, and he's a big college basketball guy. So I think that would be fascinating. And, like, I would love to do that. And, of course, we all want Jordan. I would – like I, I grew up uh, an MJ fanatic. He lives in Charlotte. Um, I've been – at events with him and kind of been around him just socially in Charlotte. And, man, the aura that guy puts out is unbelievable. I mean, like he's Michael. So I would love to get him. There's all kinds of people that I would really enjoy enjoy getting. I'm also about to do a piece that will be – it'll be humbling, I know. This is for the November show. I'm going to go to Delaware and spend time with Elena Deladon, her sister Lizzie. Um, has special needs, and Elena derives the vast majority of her inspiration from her sister. And so I really look forward to telling that story too. Marty, you won't believe this, but the job I had before I came to Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer, I worked in Delaware. Uh, I covered Elena Deladon when she was in eighth grade, and, wow. and I wrote that story. That's like probably really? That's probably the best story um, I've ever been a part of is that Deladon family and, and Elena and Lizzie. So if you need any help, uh, you need any uh, pre-interviews or anything, let me know, man. I'm here well, for you. thank you. I'll try to look that up, or you should send it to me. I'll tell you another thing that one reason that I'm so passionate about telling that story is I'm somewhat inextricably linked with Elena forever, and I'll tell you how. Not to be Captain Storyteller, but this one's pretty special. So... 2015, July 22nd, I walk into the track stadium at the University of California, Riverside. And it was the first day of practice for the Special Olympics World Summer Games in L.A. And I walked into this track stadium. My job for the opening ceremonies of the Special Olympics was to chronicle, to walk in with the U.S. team for that three hours of live TV and tell the stories of the U.S. team. So I wanted to go meet some athletes. I wanted to meet all the coaches. I wanted to get, you guys know, your reporters, what we do. I did what we do. And as I walk in there, I look to my left, and I see an individual on one of those aluminum benches you would see on the side of a high school football stadium on the sideline, all by theirself, stretching, and bald-headed, um, I was very intrigued by this person being alone. I walked over there, cut off the coach who was talking to me. I said, just, can you just give me a moment? I walked over there and sat down, put my arm around this individual. And I said, what are you doing over here all by yourself? And this person, uh, said, I'm just so tired. I said, what are you tired for? We just got started. And the response was chemotherapy. Stop me in my tracks. I said, would you mind sharing your story? 24-year-old young lady named Olivia Quigley. Olivia was from Wisconsin, autistic, um, and was told, adopted from China by her parents, Dan and Judy, was told since she was three years old, Dan and Judy were, and Olivia had been her whole life, you will never hold a job, you will never live alone, so just deal with it. Well, they weren't having that. Olivia did ultimately live alone in her own apartment. She did have a full-time job at the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. 
and she had stage four breast cancer. Well, after several months of withholding that information and the tremendous pain she was having in her breasts, she finally told her mother, this pain is unbearable. She goes, she had huge tumors. They start chemo. She does five months of exhaustive radiation and chemotherapy, and then she gets the invitation to World Games. She looks at her oncologist and says, I am done with this. I'm going to World Games. I'm going to win medals, and I'm going to show women all over this world what they can do with breast cancer. And you know what? Damn it, she did it. She won two gold medals in those Olympic Games, and she did show women everywhere what she can do. Well, she wound up being one of the 25 most influential women in sport that year and was at a banquet with Elena Deladon. Well, fast forward to, and she thought it was so cool to meet Elena. I, I, look, I texted with Olivia. I stayed in touch with her and Dan and Judy. And this is the power of what we can do. Olivia ultimately passed last fall. I got home from a college game. I walked out to my mailbox, and there was one of those manila packages inside. I pull the package out. It's a thank you letter from Judy, her mother, thanking ESPN and thanking me for doing all of the work we did with and on uh, Olivia because it empowered her. And for the first time as as her parents, this is according to Judy, Judy and Dan could speak with her as an adult because she was not angry. She was not slighted. She was not being told you can't. She was infused with this confidence. And that letter made me cry. And then I reached back into this bag, and you know what was in there? It was a black felt box. And in that black felt box was one of those gold medals, which Olivia left to me in her will. So I, I, from that second, I wanted to do this story with Elena. And I appreciate her being willing to tell that story and the passion that she has for growing um, awareness of having empathy and compassion for people who don't have the same uh, opportunities sometimes that we do. Man, Marty, what are you doing to us here? Your stories. Gosh, you should do this for a living, Marty. I'm telling you, you might be on to something. <laughs> well, I know that's a bit of a tangent, but... That was unbelievable. I'm, uh... Look, wow. man, going... I know that this has been way too long for your podcast, but I will say one of the most fulfilling things I get to do is be a part of the Special Olympics broadcasts that we do at ESPN. We're partners with them. And I've had the opportunity to meet people who get told you can't, you're inadequate, you're not good enough, you'll never know. And then to watch them go out and ski down a hill at 50-something miles an hour, slaloming back and forth, and look in the camera and say, I can. Hey, doctor, who said I can? Watch this. Hey, teacher, who said I can? Whatever. Watch this. It's, I mean, it'll, it'll rewrite your priority scale and your perspective pretty quickly. All right, Marty, we'll let you get out of here soon, but there's, there's one question I have to ask you um, when the, from the minute we knew that we were getting you. Have you trademarked Marty Party? <laughs> uh, it is in the it's it's in the process. Yes. All right. Um, all we want is a couple free hats or free T-shirts or something, man. That's all we ask. Are you guys like trucker hat guys? Like yes. Low profile hat guys. What are we looking at? I'll see. 
Yeah. Yeah, I like a nice trucker hat, yeah. All right, trucker hats it is. I'll send them your way. And, look, before we get out of here, I want to reiterate um, what tremendous work you guys do. And when I, I, will, I will forever be appreciative of that work because, again, when you are flying into an assignment, quite honestly ignorant, as I did, and you have that level of resource especially at that time with so many weird variables with the whole Cardale Jones thing. And, um, all of that was a little bit confusing if you, if you weren't an avid consumer of it and being able to wade through it all with the great work y'all did, uh, damn sure saved me in that venture. So thank you guys for the work you do. Well, we are uh, we are happy to be uh, a tiny, tiny part of the Marty Party, and so um, we uh, we enjoy your work, Marty. We respect your work. Um, we know um, we're looking forward greatly to whatever you have next. Uh, congratulations on uh, on the way your career has gone, and uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, see you back here in Columbus sooner than later. Yes, sir. I can't wait to get up there. Thank you guys so much, and uh, I fear listening to this. I rambled a little too much, but. No. <laughs> Hey, number 100, baby. I love it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Marty. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Marty. Do you have goosebumps? Did he move you? I want tweets from people telling us whether or not they cried. Tell us what you think of Marty. We love Marty, if that didn't come across. We are all in on the Marty party, but we also are all in about talking about food. So we're going to run through a bunch of questions we got from you guys. We're going to hit some food topics. We're going to hit a couple other topics. Um... And here's one first, when we asked for criticisms of Buckeye Talk from at Chris McKee. I think Doug talks down to Tim trying to be funny. It isn't. Here's the deal on that. I'm a jerk. Bill, is that real talk? I actually don't think you're a jerk. I just think you're honest. I'm a jerk, and Tim is getting accustomed to that. But I'll also not do it so much. Here's the thing. If you have weak pizza takes, you're getting yelled at. I can't, I felt like I couldn't control myself yeah. that day. And I realized I might have said hurtful things. <laughs> but I feel, I had an out-of-body experience. And I know, and here's the thing. More people sided with Tim. So I need to accept that. And Tim, if I, if I did that in the past, I apologize. And I will try not to do it in the future. But also, when we're in New Jersey, we're going to eat some pizza. And we're going to see what happens. <laughs> that is good. That was what I was hoping for. And I think I've kind of realized, you know, last week, I still couldn't believe Donatus is as divisive as it is. I never would have imagined that that out of all things in Columbus, in, let alone the world, that Donato's Pizza would literally divide Buckeye Talk Nation. In the name of hashtag two-hour podcast, let me go on this tangent. We talked to Jordan Fuller, who is from New Jersey, which Jerry Emig, uh, the sports information director at Ohio State, does a really good job of getting us a variety of different players each week to talk about. Um, what the upcoming game, and he often will bring out guys who are from the t- the place that they're playing. Terry McLaurin's from Indianapolis. We almost always talk to him before they play Indiana. Jordan Fuller's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. He's from Jersey. They brought him out for this. Someone said, like, you're going back home. What do you miss about New Jersey? And he said, the food. And my ears perked up. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to turn an actual football interview into a whole pizza thing. And then someone said, well, what food? And he said, the pizza. And I went, ding, 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 ding. And I said, so then I jumped in and I said, what do you think of Ohio pizza? And he just looked at me and we shared a moment and we both sort of shook our heads. 
and we knew what was up. And he didn't want to get in trouble, so don't go be mad at Jordan Fuller, be mad at me. But then as he was walking out, I tried to explain to him, I, I said, you know, we do a podcast, not that you care. We did a half-hour pizza discussion. People went crazy, and we just sort of agreed that if you haven't had that kind of pizza your whole life, you just like, it's just where you grew up. But if you grew up on the East Coast at all, that's real, and we're going to bring Tim into that world. So I just wanted to let people know that we are bringing the pizza talk that we do on this podcast. We are now officially bringing into the world of Ohio State football. We're doing yeah, we're, God's work. We're doing the Lord's work. That that's the gift of Big Ten expansion, right there. Yeah, the, um, literally the only good thing Rutgers has brought to the Big Ten is pizza. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Jason M. Antris, who is a frequent listener and question asker, what happened to the Winston Box reviews? Wait, wasn't that the name of the closed box you guys reviewed once? Yeah, so uh, Winston Box never came through with the advertisement. Boop. Um, and then I bailed on Winston Box. Uh, I'm getting one more. I actually think, so what's today's date we're recording this? The 25th or 26th? 26th. I actually think I'm supposed to get the box delivered on the 27th. But that will be my last Winston Box. Um, it's kind of expensive. And I'm mad at them for not sponsoring us, so I'm out. Yeah, also, someone asked earlier today, uh, what if Donato's would sponsor Buckeye Talk? And I said, I would say it's the greatest pizza ever. So I we can be bought. <laughs> I don't know if I can, to be honest. God, you're so... I don't like lying to the people of Buckeye got, Talk. You, would you turn it down if they gave us free pizza? Yeah. You would? I don't want that crap. See, I would lie for money, and I would take free things. If I got, if someone offered me Little Caesars for nothing, I'd take a slice of Little Caesars I'm not Caesar saying I wouldn't lie for money. I just don't want to lie to the loyal listeners of Buckeye Talk. I'm talking free pizza, though. It's not lying if it's free pizza. Landis is your guy. That's true. Tim and I, Tim and I are sellouts. Landis keeps it real. Please keep that in mind going forward for the next 100 episodes. <laughs> free is the best price in the world. That is correct. At OSU Farm Boy, who's Greg Miller, why is Doug so intense? Does Northwestern teach that in journalism school? Greenberg and Wilbon do not act this way. I think Wilbon does. Wilbon little, does. Little, Wilbon does from time to time, and probably only because that's when Kornheiser kind of stokes the fire a little bit. They could not beat the jerk out of me completely in yeah. college. Uh, at uh, John Macon, at Jamaican7, I get it. What's your favorite stop on the schedule for dining purposes, and what is your all-time favorite while covering OSU? Is there a place that you guys get excited, like a Big Ten road trip for food? I mean, I would maybe say Rutgers because you can go into New York if you want to. You can. I like the East Coast food. I like the diners. I like yeah. the pizza. We hit a really good diner two years ago. Um, yeah, it was me, you, and Ari, right? Yeah, at like 3 o'clock in the morning after the Rutgers game. It was pretty good. I don't know. I haven't been everywhere. We're flying. This isn't a Big Ten town. But when we go to Nebraska, we're flying into Kansas City, and I am pumped for Kansas City barbecue. Have you guys ever had a Runza? Oh, no. You've talked about this before. Never heard That's of That's an Iowa thing, right? It's a Nebraska thing. Or a Nebraska thing. thing. Okay. They're in Nebraska. They are a meat roll. We've talked about this before, where every culture, every place in the world has a kind of food where they stick meat in bread, yeah. and they just call it different stuff. A burrito and a pierogi and a taquito and... Uh, Dumpling. A dump. I mean, it's all the same thing. It's meat and bread. So this is a runza. It's like steak sandwich meat with cabbage and onions, like mixed in. And then instead of in a roll, it's like inside, like stuffed in a thing. And then they cook that. I'm going to have 10 of those. But they have them as like fast food places. So I really enjoy going to Nebraska for runzas. So get ready. When we drove to Yellowstone, my family, I made us drive out of the way. We went into Nebraska when we didn't have to so we could eat runzas. So we got runzas. They're like, again, it's like, it's like going to Chipotle. It's not a fancy thing. 
and we were sitting there eating runzas, and I was like, what do you think of these runzas, family? And my children just like looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? Why are we here? So now I'm going to make you guys live that experience because I tortured my children, so I'm going to torture my work children. Also, the best road trip ever was Washington. You guys weren't on the beat. In 2007, they played Washington at Seattle, oh. um, and that's just like a great trip. It was a great trip. I don't know what to tell you. Also, Dallas is good. We're going to yeah. Dallas next year for the TCU neutral site game when we were there for the national championship. Excellent Mexican food. Anytime you get to eat Mexican food in the Southwest is a good day. We had um, excellent barbecue in Oklahoma last year, too. Remember, we went to a barbecue restaurant in Oklahoma City that you could buy, like become a member of. Like People join gyms, and you get certain benefits with that membership. You could join the membership club of this barbecue joint and like get extra barbecue. Yeah, like your meat was cheaper. It was yeah. like a country club for meat consumers, which is the only country club I would ever want to join. Yeah. Um, all right. What are your thoughts on Cincinnati-style chili? Evan Imel tweets at us. I've never had it, so I can't offer a take. Yeah, me neither. Whoa! Really? Here's the thing. The like, Skyline Chili. We're 0 for 2 on you guys even trying Skyline people, Chili? Uh, without getting too graphic, I um, <laughs> think there's an expectation of what chili might do to one's body, <laughs> which always makes me nervous, so I never, ever get fast food chili. Yeah, it seems like there's something weird about putting chili on top of spaghetti and having shredded cheese on it. Maybe that's just me, but that's just kind of weird to me. I have actually not had it either, like the Chili 5 way like that. I guess we should try it. We should go and try it. But I agree with the idea of chili ramifications in a car are not a road you definitely want to go down. No, thank you. Uh, Antoine, Big Twan, 1342, wants to know, why do you all live in Columbus but you work for Cleveland.com? Because we're told to. It's easier. We don't have to go. We go to Cleveland. Well, Doug does a little more with the Cleveland Pro teams, but Tim and I probably go to Cleveland you know, three or four times in a year. Um, for meetings and stuff like that. It just makes more sense for us to be down here in Columbus. And Tim just moved. Were you excited yeah. to move from Cleveland? Because Tim was covering other stuff in Cleveland. When he got moved to this beat, moved to Columbus, were you looking forward to that move, or did they have to pull you kicking and screaming out of Northeast Ohio? Well, no, I, I love it here in Columbus. You know, I've had plenty of experiences here in Columbus. I know this town really well. I was excited to be back here. I know, so I uh, took over this beat in 2005. I succeeded Bruce Hooley, who had been on the beat for 18 years. And I know, uh, so that was, what, 1987? Um, I know that with Bruce, they hired him. He was the first person for the Cleveland Plain Dealer that they hired and said, live in Columbus. Hmm. That was a decision. We need an Ohio State beat writer on the scene who's not driving back and forth, who is there for everything all the time. Uh, and I know they put him here, and they put him here with the expectation uh, that he would compete head-to-head every day with the Columbus Dispatch and do work that was equal, if not better, than that. And the Columbus Dispatch does a great job covering Ohio State. Uh, but I think that expectation uh, started then and has lived on since then. And Bruce was a, is a tremendous newspaper reporter. Obviously, you guys know him now as a radio talk show host. Um, he did a great job for 18 years and established, I think, the precedent that people in Northeast Ohio and Cleveland care enough about this team to treat Ohio State as a home team. And even though we're two hours from Cleveland, I think at Cleveland.com and with the Cleveland Plain Dealer, we have always treated Ohio State as a home team. We don't view it as there being three pro teams. We view it as four. We view Ohio State on the same footing as the Cavs and the Indians and the Browns. And often, 
not right now with the way that the Cavs and the Indians are winning, but there was a time when everybody in Cleveland was losing that if you were a fan and you wanted to win, Ohio State football was what you needed to read. So we did that, and I've tried to, I tried to do that for 13 years. I think we've only done a much, much better job since we added uh, first Ari and Zach, then Ari and Bill, now Bill and Tim, to have a, a three-man team of dedicated journalists who live in Columbus and cover everything that happens with Ohio State, 365 days a year. That's how important we think it is. And I think we try to do it the best we can. I think we try to do it differently than other people if we can. I think we try to think progressively. We try to think in an interesting way. And that's why we live here. It is confusing sometimes. I'm not from Ohio. I've never lived in Cleveland. I've worked for the Cleveland Plan Dealer and Cleveland.com for almost 13 years. And I don't I don't know a ton about Cleveland, to be honest. I don't know a ton about like where different neighborhoods are and different streets are because I've never lived there. I lived in Cleveland for a year. For one year, I covered high schools before I did this, and I lived in Cleveland for a year, and I actually loved it. For anyone who, who's listening from Cleveland, you have a fine city. And I really enjoyed it because it reminded me a lot of Philadelphia. Um, the people reminded me a lot of the people from Philadelphia, and I mean that as a compliment. Um, I really enjoyed living there. Extra coleslaw with canes or no? That's from Brody Burke. No. No. You, here's a secret for Canes. You don't have to get the coleslaw, so don't get the coleslaw when the option is extra fries or another piece of toast. I always go for the extra toast. I mean, I go extra fries, but I respect the extra toast, and I think anyone who gets extra coleslaw um, should be thrown in the mental asylum. Listen, but uh, to be honest, and Tim, you are a healthy, fit, skinny young man. Double toast is a way to ruin, my friend. Yeah. Let me tell you, when you're in your 40s, that is not a double toast world because that double toast goes straight to your arteries, baby. So just be careful. Have you guys ever done this? I saw it on Twitter not that long ago. Someone took, uh, I think it was two Cane's chicken fingers between two pieces of toast with fries on the sandwich and then put the sauce on there. And it looked awesome. I haven't tried it yet, but it was just a Cane's. It was everything that comes in a Cane's box in sandwich form. What are you doing for dinner? That, <laughs> you, go you, there? you know what it almost sounds like? And this is going to be a segue into an episode of Man vs. Food where, ironically, they were in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and Rutgers. They have food trucks there. And one thing they have yeah, there is fat sandwiches. the fat sandwiches. Yeah. That, exact, that's exactly what that makes me think of. Yeah, the Cane's fat sandwich. Oh. Sandwich with French fries on it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. At James Octavius, loyal listener and tweeter. Give us some spicy chicken wing fried chicken takes. I feel like Tim is a boneless wing guy. Thumbs down. Defend yourself, Tim. Are you a mind reader, James? I swear. You You just give off a boneless wing vibe somehow. How do I give off a boneless wing vibe? I don't know, but he nailed it, right? Right. Well, I mean, here's what I'll say. I like both boneless wings and bone-in wings. My thing about boneless wings... It's less messy to eat, and you don't have to worry about being careful about your bites because of bones. You get all the meat, and you don't have to worry about any of the excess. Plus, if you use silverware, like a fork, you don't need to do any cleanup. Good. I I, I am 100% in agreement on boneless wings. I mean, the whole thing to me in the beginning was like that was... When when wings were invented, that was the only way to get buffalo sauce on stuff, right? Mm -hmm. If you ate it on the wing. Now that you can eat it... On a on a boneless, a nice, a nice tender piece of white meat chicken, drenched in wing sauce. Not that just not as that, and you don't want to go to a place where they just like pour it on like that was like mixed in like in a bowl and they shush it around and stuff. And you can tell the difference, which is why here's another thing: I never get wings at a pizza place because if there are restaurants dedicated to wings, why would I go to a pizza place and eat their wings? 
Why would I go to Pizza Hut and get wings? If I want wings, I'm going to go get wings. I also don't get pizza at wing places. I don't understand the crossover of getting a secondary food at a place dedicated to one food when you're sure that there is a place dedicated to that secondary food a mile away. What about buffalo chicken pizza? I don't like pizza when it doesn't have marinara sauce. Mm. So I've had pizza where it's like buffalo chicken just on like mozzarella cheese and marinara sauce. And I actually like that, but I don't like it when the sauce is buffalo sauce instead of marinara. That's how I prefer it. Um, I am, I'm not anti-boneless wing. I like boneless wings very much, but I would much prefer to have the bone-in wings. Um, provided that the wing is not overly breaded. I think a bone-in mm. a bone-in wing that's overly breaded just kind of feels like you're eating breadcrumbs after a while. It's very very heavy and kind of greasy. You know who has the the greasy breaded wing? Hooters. Hooters. Yes, that's exactly. Not that I've ever been to one. That's exactly what I'm talking about. A Hooter. I, I prefer a a um, thinly breaded wing that um, is fried, but it doesn't. It almost tastes more like it's. Uh, oven baked maybe than, than it is fried so just enough where you know it's a little breaded but you, it's not taking away from the chicken itself right and I can't think of an example of Ohio that I've had that because I really haven't had that many wings in Ohio but there's a, a bunch of places in Philly that I enjoy that make their wings that way although you know what I just thought about I do feel like I love I think the one thing about covering college oh you know what sorry no, go ahead. Uh, winking lizard wings is what I'm talking about if you had link, wings from the winking lizard that's what I'm talking about good or bad very good very, very good, good. Yeah. yeah Uh I like eating college food in college towns like i like eating at the the place where the the young people go um so if i would go i would love to go to like the best wing place in every college town in the big 10 i can't say that i have i went to northwestern there is a wing place at northwestern that was there when i was in college 22 years ago and is still there now when I go to that place, I get wings. I feel like if I'm trying you out and I want the full experience, I will get wings instead of boneless. But once I know what you're about, I prefer the boneless. But I feel like if I'm going to really experience a, a wing place, you need to get the wings. Because I want to grade yeah. you not just on the sauce, but I want to grade you on the way that you cook your wings and that whole experience. I buy that. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good plan. All right. Um, listen. I think we're out of questions. Oh, I got another food question from uh, Chase Richardson. Chase! He's asked us, what is the most important quality in a good milkshake? Thickness, ice cream quality, good ice cream flavor. And I'll take the reins on this one if you guys don't mind. Um, <laughs> you seem to have strong takes, them. so good Well, <laughs> what I'll say, um, it when it comes to milkshake, I think flavor means the most. But I will also say, I do not want to drink soup. I do not want to drink cold soup. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wanted to, like, know it's a milkshake. Consistency matters. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't want it super thick where I'm, like, feel like I'm sucking through, like, a toothpick-sized tube to get the milkshake to go out of the the straw and for me to drink to have it. I don't want to do that. Somewhere, find me a happy medium. But do you want to, do you want to eat your milkshake with a spoon? Or do you do want it to be able to be consumed through a straw i want it to be i want it to be drinkable um if yeah. there if it, if i get or get a milkshake with toppings and i know like steak and shake for example you can get them with like m&ms there's places you can get them with oreos if it's too thick and like the the pieces of candy are stuck in there you might need a straw once in a while i mean a spoon so, once in a while but i prefer to drink them if at all possible i like uh, the friendly still exists oh they, they literally took every Friendly's out of Ohio. I think. Yeah, and, and I don't. They might maybe it doesn't exist. There used anymore. to be one like in Strongsville, but right I off love the highway off seventy one that I used to stop at all the time. You get the giant metal 
I don't even know what it's called. It's called a the, that actual name of the Friendly's milkshake is called a fribble. Fribble, right? But I like you, you get you get the giant metal oh. thing and you pour some in a glass and then there's still some left in the giant metal thing. And I often eat that a lot with a spoon. I I, I, I like a milkshake thick enough that you can eat it with a spoon. Now you're taking me down. There was a yeah. Friendly's in my town in Pennsylvania where I grew up. Every Friday night after the football game, we'd go to Friendly's. Yeah. Fribble and fries. My mom was a waitress at Friendly's from like when I was born until I was like five. And I like the first five years of my life, I just grew up in Friendly's. Can we just go to There's not. I, I literally think there are none left in Ohio. Because there are no, definitely out. none. All the ones that I went to growing up back home are all gone. I, I don't know if they exist anymore. God, I'm wistful now. Let's end on a wistful note. One more thing. Um, I think vanilla milkshakes are trash. I think that your people, listen, vanilla milkshakes and vanilla everything gets a bad rap because it's white and That's people true. think that it's like plain flavorless or yeah. see-through. It's, it's versatile because when you have vanilla, you can mix toppings in there. You know why? Because it tastes like nothing. Wrong. Yeah. You are, you are, you are swayed by the color. If, if vanilla was purple, you would love it. Just <laughs> like if Rutgers, if Rutgers was named NJ State, everybody who played high school football in New Jersey would go there. Yeah. Things, perception matters. And you get a thick chocolatey milkshake and you think, oh, look at that color. Ooh, that's, and then you get vanilla and you think, ugh. It's just, it's like a piece of paper. And yeah. that's not fair to vanilla. And I feel like that is a very, that is an anti-vanilla take that your perception is is biased to the flavor. It is a delicious, natural flavor that I think is one of the finest flavors around. And I don't care if Mike Greenberg and Michael Wilbon don't get riled up. That is worth getting angry about. It, it feels good to be on Doug's side of a food take this time. I'll say one more thing about milkshakes. Um, when I order a chocolate milkshake, I want chocolate ice cream. I don't want vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup. That I I was actually going to bring that up earlier. If you get a, a, a chocolate milkshake that is vanilla with chocolate syrup, throw it in their face. Yes. That's a lie. That's an outright lie. That's not chocolate. It's not. It's a disguise. Some people call it like a black and white milkshake, but that's fine. Just differentiate it from chocolate milkshake because that's not what it is. Because otherwise, because otherwise, just take the vanilla. The vanilla's good. Disagree. But <laughs> all right, listen. Do we hit two hours? Do you think? Uh, we're flirting with it. All right, we're gonna try honestly to get down to more like seventy-five minutes going forward. We wanted to celebrate a hundred episodes of Buckeye Talk. We didn't think we'd make it. Um, we we have gained listeners. Uh, we hope someday to have ads. We hope to make this um, even better. Um, we are always open to suggestions from you guys. We read the reviews. We read the Twitter comments. You can tweet to any of our personal accounts at BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice. But also you can tweet, this is easy, at Buckeye Talk Pod. Mm-hmm. It has its own Twitter account because it has a life of its own. So we want to hear your food takes. We want to hear other things that rile you up that you want us to talk about. We want to get your Ohio State questions. When the games matter, we talk more football. But we don't. We never jerk you around, and we're never here. We make fun of this. We this is our word. We're trying to let you in on this. We've probably said it before. We always say wary. Go check how many headlines. <laughs> Google Ohio State wary and find how many people in the world write stories about how Ohio State is wary of some team they're favored to beat by 35, and they're not wary of them. Yeah, I mean, how, uh, upsets happen once every 10 years. They lost to Purdue. In 2009, and nobody saw that coming. 
It doesn't mean we're writing the Ohio State Warrior Rutgers headline. We don't write weary headlines, and we don't do weary podcasts. We keep it real about football, and we keep it real about pizza and wings and milkshakes and hamburgers. Somebody out there wants us to do an all-hamburger podcast, which I think we can get on later. And before we go, there was one question I wanted to ask before we end our 100th episode of Buckeye Talk. Tim, before you joined the beat, did you listen to Buckeye Talk? Oh, um, don't lie. Landis okay. is a human lie detector. His dad's a cop. He's already lying. How do you He's know? Rubbing, I, I, you're rubbing your rub, face. Rubbing your face a little more. Hey, still. I watched Lie to Me with Tim Roth. I understand all those lying cues. That was actually a good show. Don't change. Keep stalling. That's all a, right. That's one of the signs. I will admit, I didn't did not until I came on the podcast until I came onto the beat. I downloaded an episode or two to listen to before I jumped on the podcast with you guys, and I'm honestly proud to have been. A very small, like, 4% part of getting you guys to 100. (laughs) So here's the thing. So Tim is driving to New Jersey, and now we realize he has, like, 96 episodes of Buckeye Talk that he can listen to dating back to 2015. There's going to be a (laughs) test next Monday. (laughs) Do you have any other Buckeye Talk memories you want to share, Landis, before you go? Is there anything that stands out? Someone Mm. was asking me about when I ate all the nuggets on it. Yeah, you you tried to eat, was it 80-something chicken nuggets? I think I tried to eat 100, but I didn't get there. I think I ate, like, 65. Was it 8... I, I didn't get to where I wanted to get. I think you gave your kids some of them, and that's why. Like, you bought a tray of 100 and then shared some with your family because you're a good dad. Well, I got to, like, 67 or something, I think. Yeah, that, um, the time we tried to record in my apartment in Grandview, and it sounded awful, and, like, we lost a 1,000 listeners because of how bad the sound was. There was an ice-chewing episode one time yeah. that people were mad that somebody was chewing ice. Um, there, there was no, a- I don't know. I think uh, it's just too many good memories for me to pick out one, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but who makes the memories? You guys do. So thank you for listening. Thank, please, if you've, if you've never tweeted us or never emailed us, do it this week. Do it this week and, and, and ask us a question. Ask us a question you think we haven't covered. Rip us. Ask us a food thing. Tell us that we have terrible opinions. Uh, if, you've never, if you've listened and you've never corresponded with us, go ahead and do it this week because we want to hear from you. We want to make sure that our coverage, not just the podcast, we want our coverage to be... Um, the best it can be. And I'm going to be honest right now. This has been a little bit of a tough year because you guys are not super interested in this team compared to some past years. And I get it. I completely yeah. get it. And we're trying to find the most interesting angles we can. But if there's something that we're not writing or talking about, tell us. Because we don't just want to write and talk about what's in front of us because they lost. They look bad in a loss. It's a fifth-year quarterback that you guys all know about and some of you aren't excited about. It's the same issues. The problems are basically the same problems of a year ago. So there's a lot of repeat here. And we're waiting for the Penn State game to figure out if it all matters or not. So it is actually kind of hard at the moment. We're doing our best. We'll come up with new stuff. We promise you that. But if there's anything we're not doing, let us know. In our coverage, in our podcasts, if you just want to rip us on Twitter out of the blue, feel free. Um, But thank you most of all for listening and making 100 episodes of Buckeye Talk possible. So, thank you to Ari Wasserman, who was a huge, huge part. You guys know this. Ari is great. He's a great reporter. He is a great uh, podcast guy. Um, He's doing great things at The Athletic. Um, And so, Buckeye Talk would not be what it is without Ari. We carry on in his... We carry on in his memory. Um, for free, by the way. For free. <laughs> keeping it, yeah. No locks on this baby. We couldn't charge for this. Uh, 
We love having Tim on the beat. It's a great addition. We're glad that we uh, were able to keep it three strong. Um, he knows his football. He's learning about pizza. This is a big week for Tim in New Jersey. Um, Bill Landis was not around uh, at the beginning of the Cleveland.com experiment, but he was around for the beginning of Buckeye Talk. He's unbelievable. He is a rising star in the profession. You guys see the stuff he writes. He's doing recruiting. He's doing basketball. Uh, he brings that. He brings it Philly style every week on the podcast. And I've been uh, honored and privileged to work with these guys. And thank you so much for listening to the one hundredth episode of Buckeye Talk. Thank you to Ari. Thank you to Marty Smith. Literally, possibly the most handsome and famous man in America, at the very least, with the best hair. So, for Tim Bielek and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the one hundredth Buckeye Talk.